and welcome to Darling Draft. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Steve! This is episode 12. Now let's do a roundup of how to get in touch with us. Our main protocol is delvingtodraft.tumblr.com. We're also on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash delvingtodraft. Our email address is delvingtodraft at gmail.com. And finally, I'm on Twitter as ravak underscore. R-A-V-A-K underscore. Right, news! There were two Grand Prix last weekend. Grand Prix Atlantic City and Grand Prix Singapore. Atlantic City was standard and it was won by John Stern. Well done! <laughs> and uh, Singapore was returned to Ravnica sealed and booster draft. And the winner was Ken Yukuhiro. Well done, Ken. Um, Jewel of Planeswalkers 2013. I believe we previously mentioned Deck Pack 3. It is now out and available. So if you want to play Demir or you want to play the Oh My Goodness 5-color combination deck, which is just insane, then that's available to you. Um, talk about Grand Prix, sort of. Grand Prix Bilbao and Sydney are next weekend. Bilbao, which is in Spain, if my memory serves, is a modern format, whereas Sydney, which I'm pretty sure is in Australia... That is Return to Ravnica, Sealed, and Draft. So that's January 19th to 20th, 2013, in case Woo-hoo! you know which year it was. And then guess what's after that, Grand Prix-wise? Oh, could that be could that be Grand Prix London? It could be. I've, I've, I've successfully successfully stopped being lazy, and I've booked my hotel. Haven't booked how I'm getting down there, but I've booked my hotel, and I can't cancel... Well, I can cancel it, but I won't get any money back, so... Yeah. Well, I'm dedicated to the cause. You're more organised than I am. I hope you're coming down to GP London too. I don't want to be alone. I am coming down. I'm coming down. You won't be alone, Craig. Good, good. You will be kind of a third field because Emma's coming down too. But that's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. Anyways, <laughs> let us move on. Uh, pop quiz time. Ooh, pop quiz. So, just talking about Grand Prix. Pro Tours, which are slightly more impressive. Mm-hmm. Do you know where Pro Tour Gatecrash is being held? Hmm. The answer to that question, Craig, is no. But can I have a guess? You may have a guess. Okay. Is it in... Oh, I'm going to say Amsterdam. No. No? It is not. Uh, I was hoping it would be somewhere close. No, unfortunately, Pro Tour Gatecrash is in Montreal. Oh, Oh wait, hold on. Wasn't I knew that, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thought... you didn't guess it. No, I know, I know. I thought you... I thought this was going to be like the next one. No, no. Okay, Pro Tour I... Dragon's Maze. Do you know where that's being held? No, I don't know where that one is. Obviously, I couldn't even get the gate crash one. <laughs> it's in San Diego in the USA. Do you yeah. know where Pro Tour Friends is? No, no, I don't. That's in Dublin, so that is a nearby. That's one. in Dublin. Yes, Proto oh. Friends is going to be in Dublin, so which is right. so- somewhat annoying because if it was just a Grand Prix, I'd totally go. But if it's a Pro Tour, then I'm just going to have to like win GP London, and that's a real yeah. hassle. So can you not just go and hang around anyway, like some kind of? There's like... just no side events and it's invitation only, so no. You can't even you can't even go and just loiter. No. <laughs> that's sad. Hmm. I think yeah. you could see one of those. Well, if you want to see a Pro Tour, then you're going to have to win a Pro Tour qualifier, or win a Grand Prix, or bribe yeah, someone. Yeah, well, hmm. So if anybody's open to bribes... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. don't like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'll get there. I'll get there one day, Craig. You watch. You watch this space. 
I'll, I'll listen to this space. No, see, you've probably got a better chance of watching the space. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Anyway, moving on. Um, right. I wish to go on a bit of a ramble, if that is okay with you. That is perfectly acceptable, Craig. So the first thing is I totally um, mistyped the name of the previous episode. Really? Yes. Now, what was the card I had to guess last week? Uh, Spoilers uh, for anyone who hasn't listened to last week's episode. I believe it was, is it Boilerworks? Oh, no, hold on, was it? It was one of the, yeah, I think it was. Is it Boilerworks? It was Steam Vents. Steam Vents, yeah. So Steam Vents, the flavour text of that reads, Crafted with genius, energised with madness. And because I couldn't think of anything else, I thought, yeah, that would be a perfect name. So I typed in, Crafting with genius, energised with madness. So I typoed. I typoed the last episode. So Shocking. I, I apologise for that. But nobody's pointed it out, so maybe nobody noticed. Or maybe nobody cares what they're called. Cause... <laughs> maybe nobody's looked at it, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> no one's listening. It's just the two of us talking and yeah. I'm just, yeah, just throwing it out there just for fun. Yeah. I hope not. I'd be sad. Yeah. It's somewhat New Year's re- it's re- New Year's resolution worthy based on what we were talking about last week. I am hoping if there's enough interest to run a beginner's event oh. at our local store because we've had over the last few months a few people who are new to the game um, some of which are being dragged along by their boyfriends. None of which are being dragged along by their girlfriends, but I'm sure that'll happen one day. And then, yeah, even last week we had a new player who... The thing is, you know, people, when they get into magic, they generally are introduced to magic by a friend. And the friend will teach them the rules. Yeah. And based on some of the people who have turned up to the store, their friends are not very good at teaching them the rules. <laughs> We've covered this before, Craig. True. So... <laughs> I'm not gonna, yeah, I won't go into any more criticisms or how you should learn, but I was thinking of running a beginner's event for all these people who are interested, getting into it, and try to teach them the rules properly. Yeah. And without the potential oversight of leering boyfriends, girlfriends, friends, whatever, you know, kind of going, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Just explain it in a calm, neutral way, free of the pressures of <laughs> Craig, the people I- they like. Can I ask a question? You can indeed. Are you capable of discussing rules in a calm way? <laughs> yes. I, or, I, what or, are you insinuating? I'm just saying you're a passionate man when it comes to the rules. Well, yes, I, 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 I am passionate. I'm yeah. passionate about the rules, and I know that I, tr- I hope I know the rules very well. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm a bad teacher. I hope. No, I, I know. I know. I know. I hope not, because I'm teaching at the university, and you know. Yeah, yeah. What magic? No. <laughs> well then, this could be a completely different beast, Craig. Alright, so it's only magic teaching you need to worry about when it comes to me. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I take your sting. I, I feel that the hurt. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah, I thought it'd be a good way. Um, and also... Can teach- I? You can. <laughs> um, you're more than welcome to. But yeah, I just thought it'd be a good way to get people up to speed to where they can play competently, reasonably yeah. well, you know, because, um, yeah, last week we had a new person and they weren't tapping when they were attacking. They were tapping to attack creatures. Sure, that yeah. works in other games, but not magic. So. Yeah. That's just a, it's a time thing, isn't it? Time and... I'm just hoping to expedite it slightly, just... We'll get them up to a, a, a level of comfortable playing, basically. You should do it. You should do a bringer friend event, Craig. 
<laughs> you bring like a non-magic player who maybe plays other things and try and recruit them to our cause. Now that <laughs> is not something considered, but it's a genius idea. Yeah. See, see, I'm fooling them. I'm fooling them. I never said you weren't, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yes, I'm hoping to run a beginner's event because it's always good to make sure people know how to play. Because if you can't, if you don't know how to play, then you can't really play. Or yeah. you certainly can't win and losing all the time. Isn't or at least fun. you can't play against Craig because he'll then ban you. He'll say, oh, you have infringed upon the rules. That is a warning. And uh, you're no longer allowed to play me. You're making me out to be a terrible person. I'm really hurt. <laughs> yeah. Nah, that's not true. I know. It's not true. I take it back. No, I don't. It's true. It's true. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Resolutions. Um, as I said, I wanted to become part of the greater magic community, which you took to mean that I wanted to be famous and everybody to love me and shower me with gifts, which is not the case. But... uh over the last few days, I've been I've been trying to engage more with people over Twitter because that seems like the best place to engage people, and it leads to quick conversations to and forth. So I've been getting involved, so I'm happy, and, yeah. I've been, and people have been speaking back to me. I haven't just been speaking into the void. That's nice. So that's good. And one of the people I started speaking to is Estrus. Now, I'm potentially about to break a cardinal rule of podcasts, which is. You should never mention another podcast in your podcast because somehow you, there can only be one and you can't listen to any others and the others just don't exist. This seems to be a thing with podcasts. You can't mention other podcasts because it's yeah. against the rules. I suppose. If you don't like anyone else. But I do, because <laughs> as I say, I was speaking to Estrus, who is the host of The Deck Tease, which is available at www.gkick.net. There's a few podcasts there, but if you specifically search for The Deck Tease, it is there. And um yes, I had great conversation with her. I was pointed her way because uh, someone else I listened to on a different podcast, uh, Chris Lansdell, he was a guest on the latest episode, so I thought, oh, I'll go listen to Chris talking about Chris. Which would be cool, but actually, Estrus turned out to be equally as interesting, more interesting. Mm. I, I don't want to slight against Chris or anything like that, but yes, um, she ha- has been interviewing quite a few cool people uh, recently. Chris Lansdell is one. Who, if you don't know, he's a British-born, Canadian-based level three judge. All right, and um, he's very good with his rules knowledge. Um, and he's very good at communicating in general about magic, also about the rules. And uh, the interview he has on the Rectees is explains what judging is about and how to get into it and what's expected from you. And it's very informative if you want to learn about judging. Yeah. Which is cool. That's something I'm interested in, and I learned uh, stuff from that. She's also introduced, uh, sorry, interviewed Darwin Castle, who, if you don't know, he was a 2005 Hall of Fame inductee. And if you have any Avalanche riders, I want to say, then that was his invitational card. Really? So that's him sliding down the mountain looking badass. Nice. And also she's interviewed uh, Tifa Mayan, who is the associate brand... Producer at Wizards for Magic? Let me just double check the title. <laughs> I realised that I was saying that I forgot her official title. Assistant Brand Manager for Magic the Gathering at Wizards of the Coast. There we go. Cool. Now, she, segueing lovely, she 
set up the Lady Planeswalker Society. Do you know about the Lady Planeswalker Society? I have no idea, Craig. Well, as you may know, at least looking around our Friday Night Magic, there's no girls there. That's not entirely true, Craig. Okay, if girls come, they're dragged by their boyfriends. Hmm, right, okay. Hold on, hold on. The... I think we're alright, though. I think, like, our particular Friday Night Magic sort of circle is quite open to women, whereas other groups that I've been to can be quite intimidating for women. No, sorry, I wasn't trying to infer yeah. we were terribly misogynistic, because we're nah, not. We're but, not. But there is, we can definitely at least say, there is a lot more men than there are women. Oh, this is true. This is true. And as you said, there are playgroups that are not inviting to women at all. Yeah. So the Lady Planeswalker Society, um, which you can find on Facebook, just type in Lady Planeswalker Society. It's also on Twitter, though I can't remember exactly the handle. It is about encouraging women to come play magic in a safe, friendly, female-dominant group, generally, because the whole idea is women come along to play magic with each other. Yeah. Although that's not to the exclusion of men. So this is not some female-only group men go away. Yeah. But it is trying to encourage women to the hobby in a nice, friendly environment. And this was initially set up in Seattle, um, Card Kingdom, which is a store there, uh, runs, I believe, like female-only nights. Although, again, men are allowed. It's, it's for the Lady Planeswalker Society. Chapters have sprung up around America. Um, there's one in Australia. I don't think it's actually gone anywhere else yet. Oh, Canada, I imagine. But hmm. I don't think it's, this is in the UK yet, at least. But um, this was something I was made aware of through uh, this interview with Tifa Mayan. And I think it's a really cool thing. Just women able to play a game which they want to enjoy while having to deal with men who are antagonistic or even women who are antagonistic potentially i don't know if it's antagonistic it's it's sometimes just a case of being kind of socially awkward (laughs) there there is that and there's potentially the perception that oh it's a woman where's the boyfriend or oh she's a woman she doesn't know how to play because for some the one that you hear a lot of the time and it's kind of Really annoying. It's like, oh no, I got beat by a girl. <laughs> it's like, why should you, why even think that? You know, it's like, uh, ah, bah, anger raging. Sorry, Craig. No, no, no. Uh, but you know what I mean? No, absolutely. It's, it's uh, something you hear quite a lot. <laughs> oh no, I got beat by the girl. Uh, what do you mean? What, what, what is your point? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, unless you're the sort of person who says, oh, I got beat by a girl, but you're the also person who says, oh, I got beat by a boy. Unless yeah. you're the one who goes, oh, I got beat by, because you just, I don't know, you, you need to mention it to everyone who beating yeah, yeah. you every single round. I don't know. Oh, I got beat by that specky guy. <laughs> and yeah, the guy, it, guy with the glasses. Oh, can't believe I got beat by the guy with the glasses. Exactly. Unless, <laughs> yeah, I heard that slight. You're just having a go at me all day. <laughs> I wear glasses. I'm no, sure. but said I got beat by the ginger guy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but aside from setting up female events, they are trying to encourage more acceptance of women. I don't even know why that should be a statement. Like, mm. why is why why are women a problem in magic? Why are women a problem at all? Why is there misogyny? Why is there any sort of like, oh, she's a woman, or comments like that? I don't it, have a clue. 
I kind of, I kind of have a clue, Craig. I've got two, two think things that I think is a reason. Okay. Do, do you want me to give you my, my, my thoughts on this just now, or is it, is it appropriate just now? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure, so, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure you're not okay. about to go on a massive rant. No, so. no, no. Well, firstly, it's, I think it comes down to the marketing of magic. I mean, like, I know, like, ever since the beginning of time, the rule books have been written quite often where the, you know, where you could say when a player uh, does X action, and then you've got the option in the rules. You could say he or she. From the beginning of the time, they the started off. They always started off by by assuming the feminine to start with. And but despite that, the actual cards and the mechanics of the game and the artwork and the packets, everything's geared towards teenage boys. And that's the target. That's the target uh, group for starting the game. This is true. You know, the, even if you look at the, uh, like a lot, any f- female characters on the cards, most of them are scantily clad. Most of them. I mean, look, look at, uh, most of the Lilianas. They're usually scantily clad, and that's the, let's get the teenage boys in on this. Um, I remember reading an article which I think was focusing specifically on Izzet, and they were kind of going, oh, it's kind of cool to have, you know, Ral Zarek, he's the poster boy for Dragon's Maze, and he's, cool looking and he's masculine and he's got a sort of cheeky grin and you know mm. he's sort of like um I'm not quite sure if they went like the sort of the bad boy which you kinda of want to get with. And then it's like, yeah, but look at all of his guild mates. Like he is the only youthful man in the Is it Guild. Because if you have a look at all the other men, they're all old, they got grey hair, they're scholarly. I mean, is it Cronarch is like the best card for this. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're all old and scholarly. But then you look at the woman and they're all sort of scantily clad and they're showing too much cleavage and you know yeah. it's it, it, it's a guild filled with young hot women and old leering men <laughs> um I, I may i may be paraphrasing or i may be wildly deviating from the t- from this article i read but you know that's that's a reasonable gist to get off of it yeah 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 and like a, another thing is like because there's already a lot of men playing the game and when a woman joins a playgroup, she's usually the odd one out. Yeah. And everybody goes through that phase where you're just rubbish at magic because you don't know what the rules are. You don't know what... Uh, I mean, it's things you just learn through experience. Like, as, as a beginner, you get beat a lot. But I think a lot of women, when they come into the game, and I could be wrong about this, but a lot of them... Uh, will say, oh god, I'm getting beat every time I come here, I've been coming here four weeks now and I've been beaten every time, I keep coming last, what's the reason for that? And the answer they come up with often is they go, well, I'm getting beaten because I'm a girl. And, you know, it's not the case, it's just because they're a beginner. But I think it puts a lot of people off and when they put the, when they see that they're the odd one out and they want to find a reason why they're not winning. If that makes sense. I don't know if I'm, I could be completely wrong. Is that a totally sexist thing to say, I don't know. I, I don't know. It could be a reason, yeah. but as a woman, or not, uh, saying I'm not a woman who has played <laughs> magic, sorry, let me start again. Saying I'm not a woman who's played magic and then lost a few times and then thought it must be because of my gender. Yeah. I mean, um, when I started magic, I lost and I figured that's because I was rubbish, but I'm sure I could have grabbed any number of assumptions, like, yeah. oh, the people around me are better, or, oh, I'm not smart enough, or I'm stunted by some other reason. Or I could have just thought, 
I'm Ginger. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could... Probably, I could... probably was that, Craig, to be fair. I, I Possibly. I mean, apparently we're known to be hot-headed, so I could say it was because of my temperament, my <laughs> my natural temperament of being ginger, but... Genetically disposed to being hot-headed. Exactly. <laughs> I could have assumed it's because of my cancer as well, you know, like, yeah. you know. As in the crab, not as in some sort of illness, just before people start panicking. <laughs> yeah. No, my star sign, but anyways. Um, yeah, just random thoughts on the thing, Craig, you know, I mean, I could be way off mark, I could be way off mark, like, you know, but... Be it, it's, it's no fun being nodding one out, basically, is the end result. No. So, if you're a woman and you want to get into magic, then look up the Lady Planeswalker Society. Also, if you have a female dominant playgroup, or maybe there's some women and you're trying to introduce maybe your friends into the game and they're not interested because it's like, I don't really want to hang out with all these guys, or I just don't want to hang out in this environment where there's a per- perceived perception of... I don't know, sleaziness or a bit dodgy in some way, then you can always set up your own chapter in your own local town, city, wherever. <laughs> like, that, that is something which is happening with and without sort of the core Lady Planeswalker's knowledge. So uh, feel free to get involved with that. Now, more generally, there is another body group, I'm not quite sure to label these, um, which has been created in the last few months, which is the Planeswalkers for Diversity. Now, similar to the Lady Planeswalker Society, this is more about uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. However, because it's sort of meant to be accepting for all, everyone is invited to be part of this. And this is about just removing all stigma from the game. There shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be going, oh, I got beat by a girl, or I got beat by a boy, or I got beat by an old guy, or I I can't even think of... I, I don't want to go and start thinking of different ways of criticising yeah. people, but it's, it's a really, ginger. It's re- I mean, it's really easy to offend people, isn't it, Craig? There's always some <laughs> way. Um, and I'm sh- So, the Planeswalkers by Diversity has potentially got a wider reach, although I guess its focus is primarily on the gay, lesbian, transgender and bisexual group, but again, it's not exclusive, it's inclusive, that's the point. It's all about diversity. Everyone's yep. different, and that's not an issue. Yeah. So yes, um, moving on and back to our podcast. <laughs> what we do. So. <laughs> um, so last week we were talking about doing a set review in some way, shape or form. Uh, we weren't sure whether it was worth doing a recorded set review because that requires us to sit behind a microphone for at least five hours chatting away. That requires you to listen for five hours, and if you say you want to really hear about Fava Mage, then where do you skip to? Like, do you know exactly what minute Fava Mage is in our five-hour podcast? No? Oh, well, you're just going to listen to the whole thing. So instead of doing a podcast, which is a set review, we are going to write a set review up. And I'm not really sure when that's going to go up. I guess it depends when we see the full spoiler and how quickly we can write stuff up. But we're going to make this a living set review. So initially we're going to say, and here's our initial thoughts on the cards, and this will be before the pre-release, so you can all read it beforehand. But then as time goes by and you know we understand better how to draft and how to play sealed, we are going to update our set review. Now this is not going to be subtly editing what we said before to make it seem like we were always right about Boros Elite being an absolute <laughs> bomb. Are you sure about that, Craig? That seems like a good idea. Well, then we've just <laughs> let away the secret. Oh, damn it. Uh, 
So okay, instead okay. of doing the Wikipedia approach of this has always been this way, we're going to just add to it and revise our thoughts as time go on. So you can sort of have a look at how cards have evolved or matured as the set, like as we got more familiar with the set. So that is the plan, a, a living set review. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yes, I do as well. <laughs> I um, don't think it's something getting done elsewhere, really. I certainly know there are written reviews, and I certainly yeah. know there are podcast reviews, but I don't know of any sort of... And here's the full review, and it's been updated our thoughts, as opposed to just people kind of going, oh, yeah, you remember, like, is a Staticaster? Yeah, not as good as we thought. But it's never, you know, sort of told in the context yeah. of a full set review. So, so yes, there is that, and we shall be That's doing that. Quite exciting, Greg. Indeed, indeed. Um, I'm not quite sure when I'm going to find the time to do it, but I'm, I will do it. I will work out the way. Right, I think I'm done rambling. Good. So, name that card. Name that card! Name that card! We'd need a jingle, Craig. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I, I will put very deep <laughs> resonant music over this. Ooh. Now, I'm saying that to you, but everybody else is already hearing it. Ah, okay. Can you hear it? Mmm, that's nice. Excellent. So, um, would you like to begin, sir? Okay, okay, I shall, I shall try... Okay, this one here. This one here, Craig. Hmm. See, it's funny, because I think these are going to be really obvious, but then... I was rubbish last week. Yeah, you were rubbish last week. Okay. <laughs> I've been rubbish was, for a while. I was pretty spotty last week, I have to say. Okay, so, the card I've chosen for you this week... Right. Oh, what do you call one of those things? Hmm. Okay, if you give me the name of the card, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll work one of these days. Oh, I'm not, okay, I'm not going to go that, down that line. Okay, right, okay. The card I've chosen for you this week, Craig, is... Multicolored. Okay, it's a multicolored card. Mm-hmm. Which means it's not a land and it's not an artifact. No, it is not. Okay. The... But before you trick me with any more jewel lands, <laughs> curse you. That wasn't a trick. That it was entirely above board. It was very clever and I didn't see past it. <laughs> okay, so this is a common. A common multicolored card. Yep. Okay. The number four is in the casting cost. So there's four colourless mana in the casting cost. Or it costs four... It's an actual... The actual number four. Okay. Okay. Uh. Okay. I think it, it really comes down to guess the flavour text here, I think. Because beyond that, it might become easy. But okay. I shall go flavour text for you, Craig. And we'll see how you do. Okay. Okay. Bleak rumours reached Tristani's ears. She decreed that no one should travel alone. I think we've done this card before. Have we? I think we've done this card before. I wouldn't do that. Because when you said multicoloured and four in the mana cost, I was already thinking of a card. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure we've done this before. I'm, I will just guess and I'll see if I'm right or not. Course is a chord. Yes, that's right. I didn't realise we'd done that before, Greg. We did this on week four. 
Oh, we did courses accordingly. Oh wow. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> so uh, that's a long time ago. That's ah, uh, Craig's back in action. Oh, oh yeah, man. And you got it first time in week four as well, probably at that point in time. Actually, it took me a while to get courses accord. But, <laughs> um, oh not, man. No, we've we've done that before. Do, oh. do you know I have written up a list of the cars we've done before, so we don't fall into that pit trap. Yeah, I did. I did know that, Craig. Okay. I did know that, Craig. Okay. I didn't right. actually check that list, but you know, that's okay. That's okay. My mistake. No, no taxi backsies. Okay. Um, hmm. There's a card I want to do just because I like the flavor tax, but I think it'd be far too easy. Okay. Um, do that one. Sorry? Do that one. It's a good one. No, I'm not doing an easy one. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Now, this may, this may be just as easy. Um, okay, so the card is an uncommon. Right. Okay, okay, that narrows it down considerably. Hmm. Um, there are two different types of mana symbol on the card. Hmm, intriguing. I'm not talking about colorless, I'm actually talking about colored, there's two different colored mana symbols on the card. And, and by that, you mean not hybrid? I am not talking about hybrid, no. Right, okay. Okay, the flavor text is short and sweet. Here it is. Insatiable, irresistible, and insane. Hmm. Hmm, that sounds kind of is it-ish. No. They're being kind of tricksy with the mana symbols. So, I'll take a stab at Is It Kieran? Does he even have flavor text? I don't care. Is it Kieran? It is not Is It Kieran. Hmm. Okay, hit me up with the next clue, Craig. Okay. It has a converted mana cost of two, which also lets you know they cost one of one color and one of another color to cast. Alright, so it's definitely the casting cost. Yeah. I'll give that to you. So mm. it, it's a uh, two mana uncommon. Yeah, I thought you were being tricksy, that's how I went for Well, you. I was being tricksy. <laughs> but I thought I'd just give that to you. So it's a gold card, uncommon. Yes. Um, it is a 2 2. A 2 2, 4 2. So we're looking at a guild mage. Could be. And um, I was thinking, is it? But I'm trying to think of the, is the, 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 was it Nits, Nivix Guild Mage? I'm sure his flavor text is something about an unknown outcome or something like that, or the only, yeah, I don't think it's a, <clears throat> I may go for the, the Rakdos one, the Rick Smaddy Guild Mage. It is the Rick Smaddy Guild Mage. Yay! Yes. Yay! Yeah, you're also right about the Nivis Guild Mage. The only action worth taking is one with an unknown outcome. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah. Oh well. I believe I believe the field is yours, sir. Yes, I will take that victory and we are one apiece. Cool. And it's best four to seven as you decreed last week. Yeah. See I I could have claimed to be have been devious and given you a card which we'd already done in the hope that you'd Instantly discounted it. <laughs> but that yeah. was not the case. <laughs> no, that didn't work out. 
No. Oh, dear. Right. Let us move on to our next topic. Would you like to introduce it, sir? Yeah. So, basically, uh, what we're going, what I was thinking of talking about was the format known as Sealed Craig. Cool. Because, obviously, pre-release season's coming up, and uh, GP London's coming up as well, and the format for both those events is going to be sealed. And what I was thinking is that the actual process of making a sealed deck is more complicated than it looks basically because you've got a lot of information to process in a really small amount of time. You know, you've got, I mean, for, I mean, can, do you know the actual length of time you get at a competitive event for making your deck? It's not long. It's like 35 minutes or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I believe it's 40, it could be 30. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's 40. Yeah, because like, in that time you've got to register your deck, you've got to check your pools so have been registered accurately by whoever registered it, uh, and then you've got to organise all your cards into some way of actually look and assess what you've actually got. And you know, I, I was just going to talk about the process I go through when I do it. I don't know how you, how you go about it, Craig. I don't know if you do, do it differently. Um, I guess I'll interject where we differ, but... Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose we should just talk about sealed generally to start with. Okay, so the format um, is subtly different between a normal sealed event and the pre-release we're about to get. So, in a sealed, um, it's limited, so you don't come with any product with you, you just come with yourself, your dice, your pen, paper, whatever. You get past six boosters. Now, depending on what, where you are and how serious it is, either, well, regardless, you open these boosters, you sort them out so you know, like, you got all your white cards, your blue cards, your red cards, blah, 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 and then you got a piece of paper in front of you where you need to write down how many of each card there is. So ideally, you want to sort all these cards you've opened and work out, you know, like, Check how many armory guards you got, how many Azorius arresters, how many Azorius justiciers, and you just write all those down. Then, depending on how serious it is, either you're going to pass this to somebody else, as assigned by the judge, or this is now your pool to build your deck with, which you're going to play at this tournament. Now, this is slightly different if we're talking about the Gatecrash pre-release, just as it was at the Return to Ravnica pre-release, because instead of getting six boosters, you get five well, specifically Gatecrash boosters, you're going to get a special guild-based booster, depending on which guild you picked for the pre-release, and you're also going to get a promotional card for your guild, and those are all playable as part of your seal pool. That includes the pre-release card, which is sort of new since Return to Africa. Yeah, I mean, just a quick thing, Craig, how did you find the um, the different format for Return to Ravnica with the, with the guild-specific booster? How did that go for you? Um, I got a reasonable pool, but I think this was early in Return to Ravnica when we didn't quite know what the good Izzet cards were. I kind of played Izzet because that fits my personality. Yeah, it's what you liked. Like, I like the aggressiveness of red, I like the thoughtfulness of blue, I'm a scientist by profession, um, <laughs> you can generally call me mad by profession, or by personality. So yeah, that just fit my mindset. So uh, yeah, I wasn't sure what was good and is it. Uh, I my pool. So I got my 
Hypersonic Dragon, and that is alright. Like, I knew it wasn't the best rare, and I was basing it just on rares then. I would not have picked as it. Yeah. But I opened Rakdos, Sword of Riot, and Carnival Hellsteed. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, that's one thing that happened with that, wasn't it? You didn't always get cards that matched yeah. the guild you picked. So, like, you, you had to get more lucky than normal. I think going into Gatecrash, people should definitely be open-minded based on the experience we've seen from the Return to Ravica pre-release. Just because you're going in saying, like, I want to be Orzhov, I want to be Orzhov, and, you know, you're going to get that extra booster which is only going to be filled with black and white cards and your treasury thrall, doesn't mean you're going to be playing Orzhov, because if all your rares start screaming at you, go Simic! Well, then those colours just don't overlap and um, don't put the blinkers on. Which is something which can generally be said as well about Sealed. Like, just because you see a really cool rare, don't think, oh, I need to play this colour or these colours because I've opened this bomb rare or whatever. Yeah, I mean, one thing I I, I noticed was, like, some people, like, if you opened up kind of the dream cards, like, you say, I'm playing Rakdos, and you you get your Rakdos booster, and then you also get a bunch of playable Rakdos cards, like efficient creatures and some, you know, removal spells and maybe even a, another bomb because mm-hmm. you've already got a free bomb to play with you might quite easily draw like a, you know pull another bomb out of your packs you've got you've got your deck almost pre-made for you and then your opponent or somebody else in the room who you may well end up playing against might have the exact opposite they've got one booster pack full of uh rakdos cards and then the rest of their cards don't complement that at all. <laughs> but yeah. they've got so many Rakdos cards, or so that's so fine a spread that they can't really make a, as you know, a, a good a deck that can compete with that. But you know, I, I, I kind of felt that the, I suppose that's my point. I'm getting that the with the extra booster and the guild specific booster, it becomes a lot more swingy. You know, because like the, the top decks are that much better than the bottom decks. Is that a fair thing to say? I don't know if that's a fair thing to say. No. I mean, the reason that Sealed is a slower format, or at least it's perceived to be a slower format, is because you only are allowed to build from the six boosters you've opened, and you haven't had any way to sort of craft what colours these are. Like, yeah. you're just gonna, you're literally gonna open a rainbow of cards, because there's gonna be the white, the blue, the red, the green, the black, the multicolours in all the guilds, artifacts and lands from everywhere. When you're doing a draft, that's not how you draft. You don't draft, oh, I'll just take this white card, and this blue card, and this pink card, and this brown card. Pink card. Yeah, pink and brown cards. <laughs> you can get pink and brown permanents and unglued, but anyways. Yeah, um, I, was, I was still playing when the cards were brown, buddy. I was still playing when the, br- the cards were brown. I changed that. <laughs> yeah, um, you're, you're like, you've, you've only got, you're only able to craft from what you've opened. You're not sort of drafting from 24 boosters going around where you're only one of a couple of people which are maybe wanting a color, so you're not going to get the same quantity of good cards in any colour. Yeah, but I'm just saying that they're having a whole booster pack specifically of a colour. It, it balances that slightly, do you know it's, what I mean? It, it does unbalance it, but it's possibly better to have a booster which is just in two colours than having one just in five. Just because if you end up being in one of those colours, it helps you a lot more. Although, admittedly, if you're not in those colours, then it's absolutely useless. But then, you know, the the downside of, like, saying losing, like, three or four playables in the correct colours, compared to the upside of having 15 playables in the right colours. Yeah. I think I it's mean, good. It's just, it's just don't put the blinkers on and think, I just because I'm going in as Guild X means I have to play those two colours. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right. But I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, there's no point dragging it out. But I'm just saying, like, I, I, I much prefer playing Ravnica sealed after pre-release time, just with the six boosters as they are, compared to pre-release draft, uh, pre-release sealed. Ah, very much. Uh, well, that, maybe that's a personal preference, but you know. Anywho, anywho. Yeah. So you're talking about the, being a potentially a slow format. Is that is that a truism of sealed? Is it always a slow format? I don't know. I mean, you could open, like, you know, if you open a good Rakdos, a pool which allows you to build a good Rakdos deck, then Rakdos is going to be fast. It's just you may not have the same quantity of dead revelers and splatter thugs and cacklers and shred freaks as if you were drafting. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people will try and get greedy and they'll have multiple bombs across colours and they will make their decks less... Reliable. And that definitely makes it slower because, I mean, you could just open and there's nothing, like, none of the colours are really that good, so you need to play three, four, five colours just to have a good enough quality of cards. And then yeah. obviously, if you're playing five colours, you've slowed yourself a lot down because there's no way you can just go, I play this land and then I can tap for any colour of mana and play any one drop and then, you know, next turn play another, like, omni-colour land and, you know, play any <laughs> two drop. That's just not going to happen. Even if yeah. you hit two guild gates or two shock lands, two shock lands are only going to get you four colors max. So it's definitely slower in that respect. You're not going to want to play five colors, though. <laughs> well, as we all know, Daniel played five colors and he did rather well for himself with his return to Ramica pre-release. But that's Daniel, and yeah, still, you're you're probably if there's a rule of thumb that's play less than five colors. Yeah, know? I would. I mean, in I would, in draft, I wouldn't play more than three. In sealed, I wouldn't play more than three. You're just spreading your mana too thin. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes a pool will force your hand, but you don't want to be in that position. No. You certainly do not. No. Another thing you'll hear people say about sealed is that it's really a luck-based format. I don't know how true that is. I don't think it is that true. But like, a lot of people, you'll, especially at the end of the day, you'll hear people complaining about, how you have to get lucky, especially at big events, you know, like PTQs and things, the sealed PTQs. Like, you'll hear people talking about the, the sealed lottery. Yeah. And I think that's really a myth, to be fair, because the people who, people have, can have good pools or they can have bad pools. You can't, that, that is one thing, but it really comes down to how you build it. And the, there will be people who have good pools that build bad decks and there'll be people who have Poor pools that build good decks, uh, and uh, it really comes down to what you've built and how you play. At the end of the day, I would say, in my opinion, anyway. I mean, I guess chances of getting all, all your rares being unplayable is pretty slim. And yeah. So, but there's going to be luck in anything. I mean, even in uh, even if you're doing a draft, there may just be nothing good going around. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I read somewhere that. There was one guy, I can't remember who it was now, but his his uh, view on it was that draft was more random than sealed because your draft depends on the people to your left and right responding. Like, So you, you need the person to your left or right to be at least as good as you to be able to recognise when they're getting cut or recognise your signals and to stop them changing colour halfway through the, deck, the draft and messing you up. You know, so yeah. there's there's kind of an argument that the draft 
can, or it's got an element of randomness to it as well. Yeah. By yeah. who you're sitting next to. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, at least in sealed, you don't have to worry about the people next to you. Yeah. Because just... they can't, they can't influence you in any way. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, basically, like one, the hardest thing about playing sealed is is building your pool, really. Yeah. And the, and like we said before, you're limited on time, and you've got to try and build your pool out these these random cards that you've been given. You've got to try and organise them somehow. And you've got to make the best deck because basically your sealed pool is a question with one correct answer. Really, like what's the best deck you can make here? There can only be one best deck out of that pool, and you've got to answer that question in that short space of time. Really, yeah. And because like in a draft, you kind of know where you're going. Like you know, every card you're thinking about, what sort of deck am I trying to make and where am I going and you're only having to sort of make a card by card decision at the end of it you're already kind of going and I'm playing this deck whereas if you just open um, how many cards would be 90 cards or 84 non-land cards um, you're suddenly going boom 84 cards go figure yeah and it just takes you a while just to go oh what's happening here you know (laughs) yeah yeah I mean uh, you've got all these other things that like you're maybe not used to as well going on uh, like especially like uh, checking your pool, your cards. It's, uh, like if somebody else has registered your pool, hopefully they've had the decency to organise them in order of the uh, the checklist. I believe that is actually generally mandatory. After. Ah, I see. Uh, as far as I know, you're told the format in which the deck has to be like handed over. Okay. Okay. So. You've got to go down your list and check all your cards. And so this is eating to your time, and it's like something you're usually... It's not something you normally do. <laughs> it's, a, it's an unusual experience. Yeah. And uh, after that, after going through, you've then got to move into the deck construction, and it's just an extra wee thing, you know? And so you've got to make sure you do it right, because if you don't do it right, you're going to end up with, with game warnings or losses. Is it a game warning or a loss for having a wrongly registered... It is a game loss, so you'll effectively start. It'll probably, it'll probably, because obviously judges need time to check, it'll be game, uh, match two, you will just start 01. Yeah. So if the guy who's registered your pool said you've got, I don't know, two shrieking afflictions instead of a shrieking affliction and an ultimate price, you could be in trouble, and you need to check it, you know? Yeah. Basically, what I was going to go on about was, uh, what I do when I'm registered, well, when I'm making my deck, basically. And uh, how I start off, Craig, what I do is I make myself some space. In fact, before that even, before I make my space, before I even turn up to the event, you've got to, well, what I do, sometimes, sometimes don't do it, (laughs) is is know all the cards in the set before, before turn up to the event, basically. That will definitely help because then because, you don't yeah. have that extra overhead of going, right, what does this card do? Okay, what does this card do? Okay, what is this? And you need to do that for all your cards. Good yeah. luck having time to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And like, just uh, be able to recognize some of the, the small combos and kind of synergies between cards and cards that uh, work well together. So like, knowing that you're Populate cards work well with tokens would be useful, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a, a really weak example, but you know what I mean. 
anything which saves you um, mental energy on the day is good because there's a lot of information coming at you here before you go into building your deck. And then, as I was going to go into, I, I like to make a bit of space, you know, because you've got a lot of crap for you when you're at these things and you've got other people's stuff, you've got your own stuff, you've potentially got dice bags and deck boxes and bottles of juice, yeah. whatever. You've just got to make sure you've got some space, you know. I mean, I, went, I went, remember one event I went to, um, they numbered the tables badly. So each table had three numbers on it. So, like, there was, like, imagine the table, and then at one end of the table it had number one, and the middle of the table it had number two, and the other end of the table it had number three. Okay. Okay? And when you got your seat, you were told, because you get told where you go, and you're told, right, you are in seat number three. Okay. But, of course, you sit down, and you find the chap sitting next to you is at seat number four, and his table ends... At the end of his table, so you've essentially got one inch of table space. <laughs> that's what happened, and it was bad. Oh, that's not so good. Yeah, <laughs> that happened like up the whole table. Yeah, so just make sure you've got enough room to build your deck or organise your cards, and then you get to the exciting bit of looking at your your pool and opening your packs. I suppose. In fact, yeah. Yeah, you open your packs up, and. Uh, you do your, your register sheet thing. And if you're just at a normal pre-release, you don't normally register pools, do you? I mean, I don't, I've never been to a pre-release where we've registered pools. I believe a pre-release is regular REL, and that means you don't need to register, although the head judge or the tournament organizer, I believe, can state you have to register your pool. Yeah. But generally, I think at a pre-release, you're generally not going to need to do that at anything other than that, then expect it. Yeah. So, when I open my packs, Craig, all I do, open my pack, take out the land and token card, I take out the rare, and I put the pack down on the table and get the next pack and open it. And open all my packs and put them in one big pile. And that's, I mean, that's different from what I see most people doing. I see, like, a lot of people will open their pack and look at their cards and be talking about their cards to their friends. Oh, look, I've got this and I've got that. Just focus on what you're doing. Don't get distracted and, and uh, begin conversations and go, wow, look what I've got, because it's just going to spoil your... your it's going to eat into your time. I, I, I want to say, and I'm not 100% sure about the statement, I don't think you should really be talking to people at competitive rounds. No. No, you're not meant to speak at all. Um, you're, you're, you're certainly, like, even, say you're at a PTQ and you're sitting next to your friend, cause you're lucky, and, you know, you open your pool and you have a look and you're like, oh, I think I'm gonna go build, like, an Azorus thing, and he's like, oh yeah, well, how much you put in that card and that card? Yeah, now you're actually breaking the rules. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, probably don't do that. If it's a pre-release and it's casual, then it probably doesn't really matter, but. Yeah. But I mean, you, the, the, I suppose the point I'm making is you're push for time and you want to just make the most of it. Oh, that is also true, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you say, Craig, before, just organise the, the remaining cards into piles of colour. Uh, but while I'm doing that, what I do is uh, take all the unplayables out. Because there's always some, and you should be able to recognise them. You should know which ones are unplayable. You take out the Grounded's. You take out the uh, Angel's Mercy. 
other other cards you are definitely not playing, regardless of what your uh, or regardless should I say irregardless, <laughs> <laughs> regardless regardless of what your um what you're doing at the end of the day, what your what your deck's going to be, you are not playing these cards, so you're binning them and you're putting them to or at least you're putting them to one side and creating a pile of uh unplayables. And it starts thinning out the cards to start with. And then you're, you've got your, your piles of colours, artifacts, lands, these sort of things in front of you so you can clearly see what you've got. And then, I don't know, I mean, is that the same as what you do, Craig? No, I, I mean, you're saying when you open your boosters, you kind of go look at the rare first and keep that separate. When I open a booster, I am instantly sorting it to colour. I'm not even looking at what the cards are. It's just create my, piles of each colour. I will put the rare aside just so I can kind of look at where what colours my rares are in separately. Mm-hmm. So I will just have, you know, the Wooberg multicoloured artifact land rares. And that those are the piles and I won't even be looking at the cards. I'll just be as quick as I can. And it won't be piles as one on top of each other. I'll be laying them out a bit like how you see in Magic Online where you know you can kind of see the name of each of them. Yeah I do that too. Yeah. Um just so once I've opened those six packs I can now go like you know, because of the randomness, um, which does exist, you know, like say I only have like seven blue, and I'll be like, well, blue is not a color I can really go into with any great depth because I just have so few blue cards. So I can almost just by looking at sort of how deep a color is, just by going right, I'm not blue, and then all of a sudden that mental space gone. I don't have to go, oh, yeah. what's blue an option? I can just go, nope, that's not happening, and then just move on. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I prefer just cracking open the packs. Getting rid of the the nonsense cards, like the real nonsense, like you know the advert cards and things, yeah. and making one big pile, and just getting the whole process of opening the packs out of the way, and I can get all the empty packets out of the way, and then start organising. You know that's what the way I prefer to do it. Okay, I mean, yeah, I I will pre-organise and then as I will, you know, rule out a colour or two depending, and then I will look through the other colours and potentially look if there's a curve ignoring or then I may be removing the bad cards at that stage and then start yeah. then you know then I'll have my oh these three colours or these four colours are viable and then I'll cut all the chaff and it'll be like okay now these three colours are viable you know I've removed another colour and yeah. again it's just freeing up space of not having to worry about oh you know what red cards are playable well red is just not playable yeah I mean that's probably what I do next because what I've got in front of me now is the Piles of the maybe playable cards, because I've got rid of the, the, the groundeds yeah. and all the rubbish, and I've got cards which are potentially going to be playable, and then I generally just force myself to cut two entire colours to say that one's gone and that one's gone. It's usually basically on the depth of the colour, how much is in there. But, but the, the main reason for that is I say, right, two colours are gone, that one and that one, is just so that I can spend my time on the three colours which are most likely to be forming the deck, you know? And when I, when I separate those colours, I'll scoop up the whole pile, have a quick look through, and see if there's anything splashable in there, and that gets put to the top of the pile, and that gets put to one... The, the whole pile gets kept together and put to one side, so there's splashable cards on top. So I can... Ref- it's there, and I can see it, and I don't forget about it, because I forget things easily, Craig, you know? <laughs> you know? So that's that's my next stage, you know, just cutting, cutting two whole colours, you know? Yeah, I think that's roughly where I end up at yeah. as well, yeah. And then, like you say, just lay out the cards. That, see, because all the ones in front of me now, I've got three, probably three colours and some artefacts and some land. 
And there'll be cards amongst that which I will definitely be playing, and I'll be able to recognise that straight away. I'll be able to say, well, I've got some red stuff, I've got a big dragon, that guy's probably going to my deck, so then the dragon's in, oh, well, there's the lightning bolt, that'll go in too, and there's, uh, oh, I'm probably going to be playing these bears, so I'll take out the cards which I definitely want to play, and from that I can usually decide which colour gets cut after that, because I'm probably aiming to be two colours, maybe three. I'm probably not looking at all the sort of, you know, the MVPs, all the great cards that I'm definitely going to be playing. I'll probably be laying it out as a curve, just to get an idea of maybe what two-color combination or what three-color combination gives me the best curve. Because even though we've said sort of it's a slower format or it's perceived to be, if you can get a good curve, then maybe you're ahead of everyone because you're not playing slower. So I'll be looking for what colours work together as a good curve, um, keeping in mind what the better cards and what the worst cards are, sort of. Like, hopefully yeah. I've, cut, I've cut the chaff and I'm sort of aware of the borderline cards, which are... So, if there's a, if there's a scale, say, of things which are important, where do you place curve on it, like, compared to, like, um, playable creatures, removal, mana fixing? Um... You know what I mean? These sort of things? Uh, that's... So, like, would you take the the card, the the cards which have, say, access to better removal over the cards which would allow you to have a better curve? I think the good car, well, the good cards which are below a certain mana threshold. Like, if I open Niv Mizzet, he will not be my top priority. My top priority will be my Splatter Thugs. And my guild mages. The car, yeah. the, the one to four, potentially in some formats, one to five cards, which are really good. They're, they're the most important thing. Then the removal, cause that generally fits in that sort of place. Although I know in Return to Ravka there's obviously a lot of removal at six mana. And then potentially the big bombs and the color fixing. Yeah, I mean, one thing that gets overlooked quite a lot, and, and I suppose it's not even just in sealed in, uh, deck building in general is that it's nice to have a nice curve, it's nice to have good ground troops, but you do need a win condition of some sort and your win condition might be that I'm going to overwhelm you with guys on the ground. You might have a pool that allows you to do that, but you need re- I think when you're building your pool you need to really be thinking how is this deck going to win? And is it going to be because I've got a couple of big bombs or a big bomb and my entire focus on the deck is getting that bomb out? Or am I able to carve out nicely and get an overlap on the board, basically? I think the curving out is more important than the big bombs. That may have just been contradicting what I literally just said, but I I came up with, moving as a slight aside, I came up with a scenario twice last week. We we did two uh, drafts, and both times, pick pick one, pack one, I had a choice between the Carnival Hellsteed and a Splatter Thug. Hmm. And the first time I took the Carnival Hellsteed with some regret, and the second time I just went, nope, Splatterthug for sure. Yep. Because yep. Splatterthug, I mean, I'm ignoring even the fact that it's in red rather than in Rakdos, which makes it easier to play. It's just the fact, it's gonna, whenever I draw it, I'm more than likely gonna be able to play it, if not then, then that's because it's turn one or turn two. Yeah. I mean, but bearing in mind the general, you know, idea that this format is going to be slower, your bombs do become more relevant. You know, like, the, the your six mana guys are going to 
hit the board more often than in draft. You know, it's pretty much true, I would say. Yeah, but you there there's still the chance you could slip in there and get them before six mana is a possibility. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that bombs are more relevant in sealed than they are in draft. That's what I would say. Yeah, <laughs> and as long as you're not putting all your focus on your bombs to make you no. win, that's fine. Yeah, well, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then the things the 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 point is to recognise that that card there is one of your win conditions, and you need to make a deck which allows you to cast it. There wouldn't be any point in building an aggressive Rakdos deck and then putting like the I don't know what who's the big dragon. There's like a eight mana dragon. The Utvartar. So you 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 play you, you make a deck which essentially has the ability to win in five or six turns, but you jam in something that costs eight mana, that's actually actively working against you. you no, that's, also, in... that's also about recognising your curve as well. Because if your yeah. curve is meant to be like, my top end is four, and then I just randomly put this eight mana outlier, then you're just hurting your deck. Yeah. But like, in sealed, that becomes less awkward. Because you're saying, well, I actually do have more of an opportunity to cast this, because the chances are the game's going to go on longer, because my deck's a bit janky. And other people's decks are also going to be a bit janky, you know. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. No, yeah, you 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 you've turned me around on the whole bomb thing. I mean, yeah, they are more likely to be played because people, everybody's going to want to play their bombs because it's it is potentially one of the few win conditions. Because again, you're not going to necessarily have the quantity of cards to make a really good answer deck type here, just because mm. you haven't been drafting it. You've just been randomly lumped with these uh, boosters. Yeah. So you kind of do need to slow things down to hit the bomb to get the mana. Well, get up to the point where you've got the mana to cast your bomb and then win. So yeah, but I mean, if you've got the pool to rush them, then do it. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, where did we get to? We were talking about making cuts, basically. Ah, uh, yeah, I think we're probably at cuts because yeah, once you've well, at least in in my little fictional uh, sealed pool, I'm currently at the point where I've laid out the cards and had a good view of my curve. So this is definitely where I need to make the cuts because, you know, maybe you're lucky. Maybe you go, oh yeah, um, red and blue, they work really well together. Oh, I've got 23 playables, put in 17 land, done. Okay, Craig, I've got a question for you. <laughs> okay. I've got a question for you. This is a slower format, potentially. Yeah. Do you play more than 40 cards? Um, ooh, no. I mean, the general rule of you want sort of the smallest deck size you can because that increases your chances of drawing your good cards. Because chances are if you go beyond 40, you're playing not as good cards or you're playing more land or something. No, unless, well, in Gatecrash, mill could be an issue with Demir. And if you're worried about the mill, maybe? But if, I'm not worried about the fact it's a slower format and thus I may somehow deck myself. Unless mill's a thing, or I have a whole bunch of cycling cards or draw cards, I don't really see the need. Yeah, I mean, my, my thinking here is if you're playing a three-color deck, perhaps, or and you've not got the mana fix, and you might want to be playing 18 land or somewhere in that area, and uh, but then you don't want to cut out options like removal and things, and you still want to play your guys... I mean, if we're talking about going up to 41 cards, then 41 cards is always okay. But if you're talking about like playing 45 cards, 50 cards, your pool, then you're going ridiculous, I think. 
45 cards is pushing it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. What about I mean, 43? 43, Craig, how's that? Is that a threshold point? Can you, can you go to 43? I would need an exceptionally good reason to do that. And, I don't know, off the top of my head, I can't really think of something where 43 is somehow a number I'm aiming for. Like, yeah. wh- why, um, why am I running that except for because I'm worried about Mill? And if I'm worried about Mill, why am I only adding three extra cards? Why not 10 or 20 or... Uh, yeah. pl- you know, uh, play 250 cards and hope Battle of Wits results. I'm just thinking about, thinking about options, you know, say, say you've got, I don't know, I can't think of a specific situation, but you, you have cards which will make, oh. The problem is, you can't, if you're building a deck that big, you don't have those good cards, cause, you know, if, if you were told to build a 10 card deck, it would have like, Two, three of your best creatures, two, th- like maybe a couple of removal spells, and maybe the five mana you need to cast them all. And are, we, are we just stuck in our ways though? Like, is, is this just something we've drilled into ourselves that says, uh, 40 you... cards, if otherwise you're doing it wrong? Is, is it just... I'd say 41 is, is acceptable, like, yeah, say you are playing three colours, you've got no guild gates, you've got no Transgo Promenades, or um, I guess Thespian Stage. Thespian Stage, I think that's the sort of land which may replace um, Transgo Promenade in this set. Uh, if you don't have the fixing, forty-one makes sense. But no, you're you, like, if, as I say, if you were told to make a ten-card deck, you'd have like the five best spells. And then if you're going up to twenty cards, then you're putting in clearly not as good spells. And then if you're going up to thirty, you're not playing like the next ten cards aren't as good, and then. As you increase the deck, you're you're putting in worse and worse cards because it's not like you've opened uh, like forty cards which are all the same quality. But that's not necessarily true because you could end up with cards from another color which are equally good to the ones you've already got, but give you different options. And I guess you've got to stand by that having more options is a good thing. <sighs> but then, hmm. But uh, so you're saying you could play a five-color seventy-card deck or something like that? Well, the thinking is that a sixty-card deck, like a sixty-card constructed deck, works better than a draft deck or a sealed deck because it's got exactly what it needs. There's got it's got to be possible to have a sealed pool where exactly the right deck would be a forty-three-card deck. But I mean the. Or, or 45 card, or even 50 card deck. I mean, maybe that's pushing it, but it's possible that the best possible deck was a 50 card deck. I'm just not seeing why, because you're putting in your best spells first, effectively, is my thought. Which means as you increase your deck size, you're adding in more land, which potentially gives you the chance of mana flooding, and then you're adding in worse cards, because you can't just be putting in, you can't, your 40 of spell cannot be as good as your first spell. Because yeah, you haven't opened 40 rares or 40 of the same uncommon or something that, like that, so. That relies on there being a best card uh, and being a worst card, if that makes sense. Because the, the thing is, you don't know who you're playing against. It's not like you're playing chess where you can say, well, I'm putting in all my queens and then I'll put in all my, my rooks. And then, you know, there's not a, well, there is to a certain extent a tier of this quality of card and that quality of card. But some cards will be better than a given situation than another. And if you've got to make a decision between a card, I don't know, like, that pretends, I don't know, gives your, gives your guy reach and plus one, plus one, and a card which gives them 
lifelink a plus one plus one for example just to, then you're not going to know which is the best card out of those until you're in the situation so all I'm saying is that more cards means more options and maybe you've got the ability to draw cards if you've got a lot of card draw spells you could be drawing more cards and then you're effectively cutting down the cards in your deck I don't know Craig I'm just trying I'm trying to chuck an argument there which maybe there isn't one maybe uh, you're right I mean I I want to attack your argument from a different way because I'm so, let's say you play with your entire pool. Yeah. You just open your boosters. You whatever. You, you're you're math genius. You do the math. You go, okay, this is the exact amount of lands. You're playing a 120 card deck. Say, would right. your deck not be improved if you removed grounded and went to 119 cards? And if you say yes there, then I think that defeats your argument potentially because then you are saying there is there are cards which are better than others. And by removing the worst cards, then A, you're not going to be able to draw that terrible card, and B, you've got more chance of drawing your better cards. See, that, that relies on Grounded being the worst card, right? Which is true. That is a bad card. But the fact is, that's taken it to the extreme where you're, you've not allowed yourself any choice. Do you know what I mean? You've just said, that's all my, that's my pool. And if I take out this card, that'll make it better. Well, yeah, it would. But the fact is, it's about making a, a choice and having a making a decision based on what you've got in front of you. And if your decision is that this deck is better with that extra removal spell from blue that I wouldn't be able to play otherwise because I've had to add in another two islands on top of what I've got, then then that's your decision. You've got, but as long as you can back it up, I think it's. It's uh, fair enough, right? But but I mean, what I don't think is a good idea is just saying, well, I can't really decide between these two cards, and I'm just not going to make a decision. That's different from what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is consciously saying, well, there could be a situation where I need this, and there could be a situation where I need that, and I'm willing to accept that risk. And I suppose that's what it's about, Craig. It's about being able to decide what the risk is. And uh, how that's going to affect your game. You know, like, can you accept that risk? Yes, I can. Well, then I accept my deck. And it's got seven million cards in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, the sort of person who goes, I'll just play tons of, I'll just play a really big deck and I'll accept my fate. That's a bit different from the argument of, is that deck a good deck? I think having more cards is just becoming, and saying, Yes, but, you know, somewhere in my deck I have the answer which will solve the situation, or the answer to, you know, like, you, you've presented a problem, somewhere in my deck there's a solution, but then you're just becoming a jack of all trades and a master of none. Is my Possib- Possibly, but then, like, like, Sealed's not, uh, like, you've, like you say, you've not got control over what you get, and often you'll be across three colours, but then your best spells are across those colours, but you need to support them with your land and things, and sometimes you just have to have more than 40 cards. Maybe you do. I don't know. I, I, I think you're wrong, and I think we should move on. <laughs> possibly. Possibly. I mean, okay, it's my opinion that I think you're incorrect, but... I I, I believe that there are situations where playing a f- more than 40 card deck is the right decision. You have not successfully convinced me, but I'm Fair. not entirely convinced of the opposite either. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Now so that again, Craig. now that we've made our cuts or not, then are we done? 
Hmm. And my answer would be no, just because double check. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. And triple check, because you may think, oh yeah, that's fine, and then you may have cut a half of a combo, and you may realise, oh, you know, this card isn't as good because I've cut this card. Something as simple as that may yeah. have happened. And, and, you know, in your in your rush because you're under time pressure and, you know, you're having to absorb this information and deal with this at a reasonably quick rate. I mean, you know, it's not like you've got the whole afternoon to sort of consider it and have your thoughts and figure out your perfect mana base and, you know, have some tea and crumpets, and, you know. <laughs> yeah, and but like 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 what you're saying, this is to go back and check the cards you cut originally. The very first ones you went, rubbish, 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 and chucked them to one side. You need to go back because... Like you say, there could be synergies there that you weren't that you weren't um, aware of were going to be in your deck. So, like, so say, for example, you've made a really aggressive deck, and at the beginning of your sealed phase, you've gone mm, deviant glee, don't like that. Uh, I don't know, ethereal armor, don't like that, or like whatever, like enchantments. Because yeah. you don't, you go, I don't like enchantments, and then you realise I've got a really aggressive deck. These these may have a place, you know, or. I don't know. There, you, there's other cards available, obviously, that should fall in that category. But that's just what I thought of then. Yeah, I mean, uh, going back to Grounded, in case you don't know what Grounded is, it's G and it makes target creature loses flying, I believe. Yeah. I mean, there may, you may have built a deck and then you look through it and go, oh wait, nothing is flying and nothing has reach. Maybe Grounded is a card. Yeah. <laughs> like, to be honest, if you haven't considered the fact that, that you're going to get beaten down by the Flyers deck, you have made an error somewhere, but Somehow, that grounded, which you went, rubbish, nobody plays grounded. I mean, spending one mana to make something lose flying for, what, a turn or something like that? Is it an aura, or is it an sorcery, or is it, I can't um, remember, but, you know. I think just lose, I think it's an instant, isn't it? I mean, normally, normally it is just not worth the card, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. But who knows, maybe you've disregarded really early on, but when you go back to the very end, you may go, actually, that is a card I kind of need. So, you know, just, just double check everything, triple check everything, because the last thing you want to do is go, right, here's my 40 cards, or if you're Steve, here's my 70 cards, <laughs> I'm committed, and then at game one of every single thing, you're just like, yay, I'm playing this rubbish deck, I should have actually done this, or I need to, you know, like, you don't want to always be thinking, right, in game two, I'm having to make these mandatory sideboard changes because I didn't realize at the time, because I didn't take the time to check it. Yeah. Couple other things, maybe bring your own land, because there's nothing worse than searching for the land box. I'm <laughs> not known for the land boxes. Having to get up and go and get a land. Oh, eat into your deck building time having to go and find land. Bring your own land. How hard is it? You know, everybody's got some land here. You only need what ten of each, maybe, maybe twelve of each. Yeah. You know, you don't need much. And then you get to personalise your deck slightly as well by having your own favourite land cards in there. This is true. Oh, one more thing. When you when you're at pre-releases and things, quite often you'll see somebody sit and they'll make their deck and they've made it and they put their deck to one side and they go, oh, I'll make another deck. And they make two decks and they've got, like, got a, a deck and a backup deck and they're very proud of themselves. They're going, I've got two decks. I've done it myself. I've got two decks. Really? This time you should be spending it building one deck and it'll be the best deck you can build. And you've got to consider all these things. If you've got time to build a second deck, you've probably not taking the time on your first deck, you know? Or maybe you should be considering an amalgamation of the two rather than having two separate really cool decks, you know? I wish to be slightly cheeky. Like, what you say is right, but if you can have two decks, totally do that. They'll, they'll never understand what cyborg changes you made. They'll be like, but 
why you've plains and mountain, but you were forest and I, I mean, you're playing four colors now? Yeah. No, they'll yeah. never understand for the first few turns. See, no, that, that, that's fine, <laughs> but the, the thing is, you've got time to do that in between rounds. So, like, after your first round, you can go, right, where, where are those cards? I could make this, and you can look at your pool in between rounds and make adjustments and make a second deck, consider what you could sideboard in in the future. But that deck construction time is so limited that you don't want to be wasting thought process on your second deck, I don't think. Oh. I mean, you could, but yeah, maybe, uh, I'm, maybe I'm just not that good, Craig. I just had another <laughs> thought. Um, it's not something that personally happened to me because I haven't... I, I've only been to pre-releases... And I judged the PTQ. And one thing which I did notice the PTQ a few times. If you're in like a PTQ, a competitive environment where you need to de-sideboard, because you know, some casual events won't care about de-sideboarding. If you make changes to your deck throughout the day, then that's cool and fine. But if you're needing to de-sideboard, you may need to you may want to take a record somewhere of what your deck is. Like what your deck should look like in round one. Because mm. a few times I noticed people coming up and going, oh, can I see my deck list? I've forgotten what my original 40 cards or whatever were. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you've got your phone on you, take a picture of what your deck looks like so you know what's in it, so you can de-cyboard. Because if you forget, uh, de-cyboarding is a game loss, I want to say. Mm. Uh, sorry, fa- fa- failing to de-cyboard correctly, I believe, is a game loss, but I could be wrong. What, what, what I do in that for that, Craig, is that I don't have other sleeved up cards. Does that make sense? So I've got my, I've got my, my card, my deck sleeved up. I sideboard out the cards in my deck box or wherever and they stay in their sleeves. And then I sleeve up the cards which are going in. And then, oh, but then I still, yeah, but anyway, that's basically what I do. So I, I know which cards I've got which are going back in. And usually I can remember what I put in, but. Yeah, yeah, but you may be the sort of person who can remember that, but some, I mean, someone may be forgetful. Maybe all they've done is they've removed, um, their second copy of one card for their third copy of another. And then when they go back to look at their deck, they're like, I don't see any cards that shouldn't be in here, not having taken into account, say, the quantities. Yeah. So they just... may have, they may have forgotten, like, they were running two dead revelers and three splatter thugs, and now they've had the, you know, the three and the two swapped around, and then they've just forgotten that. Yeah. And... The type of person I am, I will be the person who forgets but doesn't realise he's forgotten. <laughs> you know? uh, th- this is actually this is something which happened to me um, at uh, sealed for a while, which I think I previously mentioned. I went to sealed for a while. I did forget to de cyborg during a game. We were like the last ones in the round, and then as soon as the round finished, it was like here's a pairing, you know, you know, set, guess set up, and I just forgot to de cyborg. And the judge was behind me looking at my hand. Actually, it was after game one. And I was like, uh, looking at my sideboard and she was just like, that card's in your sideboard, right? And I was like, yeah, it's like, that's, is that not one of your main deck cards? And I was like, she's right. Mm. Um, the judge was spot on that I forgot, like, I, I made one change and I just forgot about it in the rush of ending sort of round X to round X plus one. Yeah. And fortunately I avoided the game loss, but I should have received a game loss and saying I just lost the last game. That must be me just done. So. Decyboarding. Important, don't forget. Um, Yay! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's all I can really say on the topic. Calculated risk. 41 cards. Do it, do it. <laughs> I'll say 41's acceptable. It's when you go to 50 or 60 or... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Battle no, yeah. That's taking it to extremes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um... I've run out of things to say, I think. 
I have also run out of things to say. I ran out of things to say about ten minutes into the podcast, Craig, and I've been mumbling through on a gust of, like, I don't know what you'd call it, see? I told you. Ran out of things to say. Okay. <laughs> uh, in which case, that's uh, close the show. Um, thank you to everyone for listening to our us rambling on. If you wish to get in touch with us about anything, then feel free to. You can get us on Tumblr, on Facebook, on Gmail, on Twitter. All the information was at the beginning of the show. Your host for this week were me, Craig, and you, Steve. That's me! The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is The Cannery, and it is Roger Free Music License and the Creative Commons by Attributation 3.0. You can find more Kevin's work at incomputech.com. Additional music was from the album Ghosts 1 through 4 by Nine Inch Nails, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial share-alike license. You can find out more about Nine Inch Nails at www.nin.com. That was a mouthful. That was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs>